This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And I am Tara Tibbetts from Fort Worth, Texas. And you're listening to the monthly fox hunting episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for a sweltering July 16th, 2020, episode 2478. Good morning, horse world. This is our special fox hunting episode. We come to you the third Thursday of every month to keep you up to date on all of the fun, exciting things happening in the fox hunting world. Ding, 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 ding. Yay. And we don't usually do daily winnies on the monthly fox hunting episode, but we're going to do one today. Ooh. (laughs) Happy anniversary to me. Today is our anniversary, Glenn and I. Oh, yay us. So is it legal to ask how many years? Um, it's a bunch. Okay. Yeah, it's like we were married in 1980 something. You're like me. I can't remember the year. <laughs> well, we, we have uh, an engraved plate that one of our friends gave us for a wedding present. And it hangs right behind my desk. But the problem is it's pewter. And it's just far enough away that I can't read it without standing up. That's funny. <laughs> it's a bunch of years. Uh, we are just about to that point where we've been married longer than not. Ooh, yeah, that's definitely a milestone. Yeah, pretty exciting. And yay me, I get to say the happy anniversary thing because more years than not, we both forget. And then we get to about the end of July and go, did we have an anniversary? Did we do anything about that? You sound like us. We're terrible. I think we've actually celebrated our anniversary like three times. Yeah. This year, we're going to, we're going to do something different. We're going to stay home and relax and watch a movie. (laughs) Very nice. Do you like a special meal or anything? No, that was sarcasm. We ain't going nowhere for the past three months. (laughs) Yeah, there is that. Well, you've gone out and you've done some horsey activities. Well, we go out and go for, we go for trail rides with the ponies. We go for trail rides with the bikes and we go for trail rides with our sneakers. There you go. Those are the things that we do. So we're experiencing, it is, it is kind of fun because it's forcing us, so to speak to go to trailheads that we wouldn't typically go to and to find new ones because, okay, we've been to that one three weeks in a row because we're talking about it. And we have an abundance of trails and trailheads here in Central Florida. So there's no reason we shouldn't find more. So we've been experimenting and going to different places and trying new new trailheads out. And it's been kind of a fun adventure. Yeah. So I've been doing the same. Yeah. In Texas, the state parks require you to, um, I don't know what you say. Like you have to go online and pay a fee and get a ticket. I don't know what it's called. Do you have to do that for your places? 
Um, or can you just show up and go? The vast majority of the equestrian trailheads in central Florida are show up and go for a ride. The state requires you to carry a copy of your Coggins test with you. Okay. But that's the extent of it. That's the vast majority of them. Every once in a so, while, you'll come across one where you have to, they use the honor system and you have to put five bucks in a little bear proof yes. box. Um, there are, I think, two of them. That you ha- that you have to sign up usually online, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Because so the state parks in Texas are limiting the number of people who can be in the park, oh, and yes. so it's been like a month ago, I think. Now I, it was the first trail ride I went on where I used Simon's Renegade hoof boots, mm-hmm. um, and it was great because I had planned in, in advance because I'd been watching and looking, and I got my the park passes for my friends and I who were going to go ride. And it turned out that it rained, gosh, three or four inches, which is a lot for us, that Friday night. And this was l- l- mid to late June, which in Texas usually it's pretty hot by then. But it was amazing because I want to say that morning it was like 69, 70 degrees. And it had gotten a little bit dry, so the trails weren't terrible. I mean, there were, there was a couple places where the water was running over and we couldn't cross, but the bugs weren't bad. It wasn't very hot. And there was one other horse trailer there because while they were limiting access to the park, they were not determining who was there to hike or who was there to fish or who was there to horseback ride. So the time I'd been there previously, there were like 20 horse trailers. So it was kind of amazing. We had the place to ourselves. Wow. That's pretty cool. Which so, I feel like that's what fox hunters do in the summertime is trail ride. Yeah, I think you're right. A lot of hacking about. Now you also do other stuff, and I'm going to get to the get to that in the quiz section of the show, which is oh. a little bit later. Everybody. Okay. Um, so when you sign up online, is it just you have to go online, fill out a little form, and you know use your PayPal account to spend ten dollars or something? Something like that. I think the fee was like 10, 10 or so dollars. And then when you get there, you have to provide your barcode and they scan your barcode for the number, how, you know, however many people that you paid for to go and they want to see the, your horse's Coggins. Oh, so there's an actual human. Yeah. There's, there's a person who's at the gate and there's Texas has quite a lot of state parks. And so anyone who's listening and you're in, you know, like a lot of these places are actually close enough. Jamie could go, Mm -hmm. um, and it would be a couple hour drive, but they're kind of deceptively beautiful and the footing is pretty nice. And, um, it's, it's kind of one of those, I've been to a couple of these places before Corona apocalypse, but the whole Corona thing, um, I don't know. I just have gotten bold and I've been doing more research and there's one federal grasslands north of us called the Decatur grasslands, or that's what we call it anyways. And they do like you're talking about where it's the honor system. You put some money into the the little container and there's not really any, they're not really checking to make sure that there's a certain number of people there, but that's like 16,000 acres. So it's pretty easy to social distance there. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty easy. Um, so one of the struggles we have here in Ocala and I'm sure I'm about to find out. We have an abundance of places to trail ride and trailheads to trail ride from the mass majority of which also have uh, modern facilities. They'll have running water. They'll have bathrooms, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but one of the hard things is because they are controlled by various and sundry government agencies, it's really hard to find them. 
because you can't just search horse trails, Florida, because government agency websites don't come up on searches like that. Yes. <laughs> so trying to find them and what locals call a trail is not always what the governing body of said trail calls itself. And then sometimes even within that, a particular trail within another piece of property has a different name. So again, you oh, have wow. to know the name of the trail in addition to the name of the property in order to find it. And it just goes on and on and on. So you really have to get to know the locals and do a lot of research. So when you research places to ride, you're looking for new places. What are some of the tricks that you found work to actually find them? So I, the last time I looked for a new place, I did horseback trail riding Fort Worth, I think was the exact search that I did. Mm-hmm. And it, um, I actually found quite a few. There's a lot of man-made lakes around Fort Worth and Dallas. And most of the man-made lakes, there's a pretty decent trail system around those. Oh, neat. And I found like Benbrook Lake is really super close to downtown Fort Worth. That's close to my best like my horseback riding best friends. Um, and they had, there was a Facebook page that a bunch of trail riders had started and it. It's a, it's a, I want to say a city park or I think it was the Corps of engineers or something like that, but completely separate from the government, these people had started a Facebook page and they had maps and they had, um, Google map, like link things and they go, they go out and like clear trails and mark stuff and, the day we planned to go out there, it didn't work out. We're going to go, you know, now that it's 5 billion degrees, <laughs> we're going to try to go when it's a, a, a little bit cooler weekend. But Texas has a pretty strong environment or strong culture of trail riders who are pretty verbose about sharing um, good information and like specific, like, you know, use this address to get to this, your Google Maps to get to this trailhead cool. is what so I found. Once again, Facebook was your friend. Yes, very like Facebook. I, I can't see how people can ride horses and not be on Facebook. <laughs> like I see all these people who are like, I'm taking a break from Facebook because of all the political blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I just unfollow the people with the political stuff and I stick with my horsey stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel similarly in that if you're not on social media, it, and it can be very difficult to find places to ride if you are someone who who rides exclusively in the open and doesn't do a lot of mm-hmm. arena work and stuff. Yes. Whereas it used to be, back in the day before social media was around, you would belong to the local trail club. And you right. would go to the monthly trail club meeting. Yep. And, that, and that's kind of how you would learn where everything is. So that's interesting. So Googling... Just like I did, Googling and, mm-hmm. and Facebooking. Now, when you go out to a new trail spot, do you go out in advance and do an in-person expe- uh, inspection or do you just show up? Thus far, no. I've only just loaded the horses up and gone. Most places I've been to, I know at least one or two people who have ridden there before. Mm-hmm. And my concern is usually where am I going to park because I have... Um, my trailer is 23 or 24 feet long. Ooh, it's a four horse. So face. it's not, yeah, it's not. I mean, it's, I'm in Texas. Who are we kidding? And everything's big in Texas. So, 
usually if you pay attention, it's just, I have done where like when I was going to the grasslands outside of Decatur, I did a wrong turn and then I had to back up and turn down a road and it was terrible and very nerve wracking. Um, but most places have good, decent parking. You just have to, I've learned to be mindful to find the parking places um, and search those out on Google map. And I work for a land development company. And so we have very sophisticated um, software and stuff that I can go and look at. I can go to like the Google earth professional or whatever, and really like zoom into a place and like make sure it's a parking lot where my trailer will fit. And I'll do that. Google earth, Google earth professional. I didn't know there was such a thing. There, it maybe isn't, maybe it's just regular Google earth, but I always <laughs> use it at work. So to me, it's Google work professional. <laughs> <laughs> Because you're at work and you're working. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. So there we go. Google, Facebook, get to know everybody, find a place yeah. to ride. And I, I do find, at least for the fox hunting friends that I have in Texas, and, and really a, a lot of the people I've met in the other states that I fox hunted, most all of them do a tremendous amount of trail riding of sorts during the summertime. So I feel like you know, we like to try to keep our horses a little bit in shape and, you know, they're used to going out and it's, it's good for them to get out, you know, trail riding and crossing water and mm -hmm. seeing wild animals and all those things. That's right. And, and besides you get bored, you need to go for a ride. Yes. There you go. So yeah. term of the month, what's coming up? What word that makes absolutely no sense outside of fox hunting context are we going to learn about today? So, and I thought we had used, we had done this term before, but I, I checked our, our term of the month library and we have not, but the term of the month this month is lark and to lark is to gallop or jump for pleasure or diversion, even though the hounds are not running. So this is a problem when you have people in the field who there's the saying, some people ride to hunt and some people hunt to ride. And so those who are just there to ride the horse are the ones who are like, Oh, this is boring. The hounds are not running. Let's go jump this jump. It's a good way to get kicked out of the field. Yeah, it's not appreciated at all. No, no. no. And I, I have been to some hunts that if it's kind of a slow hunt day, so, you know, maybe so like sometimes what happens here in Texas is, um, it, it doesn't cool off really quickly. And sometimes our November hunts are a little bit warm. And so before the hunt, the hounds really get into shape, they can't go for hours. Um, and you know, they might be done and tired and they need to get put up after an hour, hour and a half. And so sometimes some members of the field will stay out and one of the field masters will, they'll go larking with, with the field and they'll go out and just kind of gallop and jump a few jumps if they can. Um, but you never, ever, ever, ever want to do that while you're hunting behind the huntsman and the hounds are working because you, you never know what terrible thing you might do. Yeah. You go where you shouldn't go <laughs> on, yeah, and not realize it bad. It's just a bad idea. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's not, no it's larking. not a welcome activity. Yes. There we go. No larking. Well, something that is a good idea is to go to totalsaddlefit.com. That's right, totalsaddlefit.com. They're, uh, they're helping sponsor the show this week. And I want to talk about the Total Saddle Fit Stability Stirrup Leathers. Did you get yourself a pair of these yet? I haven't, but I've been reading a lot on um, a 
couple of the groups, like the podcast amateur lounge that I'm in, a couple of people, I, I really, I think I need to get them, get them for my hunt saddle. I think all fox hunters need to know about the total saddle fit stability stirrup leathers. They have a wide body design, which means the part of the leather that is closest to your leg is wider than the part of the leather closest to the saddle, which means it's more stable, but it is also smoother. So if you're one of those riders like me, who does a little extra squeezing with the knees and you get knee rubs all the time, you get blisters on your knees. Yeah. These make a big difference. I did not expect that. I did not anticipate that, but it does make a big difference. So it gives you more stability in your legs, fewer leg rubs, and they're attractive and they are made of good quality leather. They come in dark brown or black, so they will match your saddle perfectly. They also come in what they call the slim design so that the buckle is at the bottom just above the stirrup iron for folks who like to have the stirrup strap that odd style that's very trendy right now i like that kind too and they also have them so that the slim style can be twisted in such a way so that your stirrup iron is facing the correct direction you know how you have to tap the inside edge of your stirrup iron to get a hold of it Yep. You can they have instructions on how to twist it in certain ways so that your stirrup iron doesn't have to do that. So if you have trouble getting your stirrup back or if you have trouble with torque on your knee, these will also suit you. And they come in 48, 48, 54, 58, 60, and 64-inch lengths. So there's something for everyone. And when you get them from totalsaddlefit.com, they're gar- you're guaranteed to love them. He will pay shipping both directions if you don't love them. And you can use them and use them. You don't have to ride in them once and cover them with a sock. Ride in them. Really decide whether or not you love them. And if you don't, you can send them back. So go to totalsaddlefit.com and get your stability stirrup leathers today. All right. It's time for our first guest. Let's give her a holler. So we've been on kind of a roll lately with the last few episodes of the podcast, kind of talking to artists and writers and whatnot. And I'm really excited today to talk to Lauren Fanning, whose art was featured in the most recent Coverside magazine. And we wanted to have you on today, Lauren, to just tell us about your art, your process, and uh, you know how you got into, and I think you paint, is that right? Right. I, I paint, I draw, I do some pastels, a little bit of everything. But thank you so much for having me on the show. This is really exciting. Awesome. So tell us kind of, a, you know, do you have, tell us about your background, if you have a horsey background and how you got into fox hunting art. Um, so I actually have a very technical background. Um, I started out in horses, always been a horse crazy kid, but um, didn't get really heavy into them until high school after my parents moved. Um, and then I went to college to study engineering, aerospace engineering, because oh. that's, you know, parents really pushed for be a doctor, be a lawyer, be an engineer. And I'm like, I want to go train horses, but <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're not going to make any money and you're going to starve and be living in our house forever. So <laughs> um, I had a similar upbringing. Engin- I get it. Okay. Okay. So you, you know where I'm coming from. Um, So I studied engineering and I actually worked in engineering sales for a while and I was living out in St. Louis and one of my customers um, was a fox hunter. We got to talking at lunch and we were swapping pictures of our almost identically matched paint mares. I mean, like it's spooky similar 
similar patterns. And she's like, Oh my goodness, I love your horse. I fox hunt. Have you ever been fox hunting? And I'm like, No, like I've heard of it, but I never knew how to get into it or knew anybody who did it. And she was like, Well, come on out with us. And that was absolutely transformative. Um, she lent me her wonderful paint horse, Maurice, and my first hunt was with uh, Bridal Spurt in St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, yeah. So wonderfully welcoming group of people. I mean, I had like tears of joy streaming down my face from the wind and the adrenaline. I'm like, this is the most fun I've ever had on the back of a horse. I want to do this again. Um, so I, I got into fox hunting. And, oh, this could be a really long story, so I'm going to try to paraphrase. But uh, I eventually ended up moving east, uh, met my husband, got married, got laid off. Um, We already had one kid, and we were thinking about having a second, and had kind of crafted our lives so that, at least while the kids were little, I could be a stay-at-home mom. Um, So here I was at home with a a one-year-old and trying not to go insane, (laughs) <laughs> and I found my old colored pencils. I'd always done art on the side. It was always my my side hobby. I did pictures of my my friends' horses or did pictures for my mom. Um, and I picked up my colored pencils again and and really got into it. I'm like, it, it was fun. I enjoyed what I was doing. And I got onto Instagram, started sharing some of the stuff, got amazing feedback. And I, I started with pencils, too, so I could have my one-year-old at the table with me. Um, so I'd be drawing, she'd have crayons, we'd both be drawing together. Um, and then I started offering my services for commissions and um, kind of blew up from there. And I'm like, wow, I could, I could actually make a career of this. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do. That is so wonderful. So how long ago was that? Uh, that was about four years ago. Because I, I so think it, I've been... followed you on Instagram for at least two years Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was really slow going at the beginning because I you know was pregnant, had another kid, and I had two babies, and um, so they finally got into a point where I can shoot them both out of the room for extended periods of time. Or a lot of my paintings done after they go to sleep for the night. I'm a bit of a night owl, so I'll be up with with my paintbrushes and a cup of tea till about you know, twelve o'clock, one o'clock in the morning. Oh wow! So are you still able to ride at all, or are you mostly just focused on art and kids? I, I do. I currently fox hunt with Green Spring Valley. Oh, yeah, Ashley. Yes, yes. He's wonder, absolutely wonderful. And I I love this hunt club so much. It, I have a thirst for adrenaline. Yes. <laughs> and it definitely satisfies that. And wonderful people, beautiful territory. Um, we were able to get a, my husband and I have a little itty-bitty farm that's about 10 miles from the hunt club. Um. Awesome. And so I get you're out in Maryland? Just about every weekend. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, I'm in Hampstead, Maryland. Okay. So just just northwest of Baltimore. So, and uh, for your your information and listeners' information, um, I'd have to go back and look exactly, but we had Ashley Hubbard, who's the huntsman for Greenstone Valley. He was on the podcast. I want to say it was probably the first year we had the podcast, so late 2018, early 2019. But I met Ashley when he was. Um, I don't think he was Huntsman. He was he was working under Tony Leahy at the Chicago and Georgia hunts that Tony has. I can't remember the name mm-hmm. of them right now, but Ashley's delightful and from Ireland. So I can imagine that, or is he English or Irish? Uh, I think he's English. 
English, yeah, yes. Sure but nonetheless, he's he's I I can imagine he's he's a fantastic huntsman and I'm sure you guys have he, some great hunts. He is phenomenal. I mean every every time we go out or we're casting about for less than 10 minutes and we're on a line and it's it's just it's amazing. I can't even put it into words. <laughs> well, I will um, say it is on my list to get phenomenal. out to Green Spring Valley in the next couple of years. So, oh, that would be awesome. Come visit. We'd love to have you. I, I definitely will. So back to your art. Are you doing more um, like art that you sell or commissions or just kind of um, what what moves you kind of where are where's your your art life? Now. It, it's a little mix. It's a little mix of both. Um, so I'd like to get more into you know, building up a a body of work that I could then exhibit in a gallery or at a show. Um, but most of my work so far has been commissions because um, I work really well when I have a timeline. And when yes. I have a commission, I know every day I got to sit down and work on that because it's due in you know, four weeks or six weeks or however big it is, and that's a really good motivator for me. Cause otherwise, you know, I, I have horses at home. I have kids at home. I'm just tired. You get into that slump, you know, especially now with coronavirus. I think we're all kind yeah. of a little, <laughs> little <Over it>. uh, <laughs> I'm in a slump. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, when I get a bit uh, like that, I'll switch it up. Maybe I'll do pencil for a little while or, or break out some pastels or do some plain air painting. I can, Look out my studio window, and my neighbor has five horses. I have another four, so there's models everywhere. Um, but it, it, yeah, it's a little mix of both. And I do take commissions. Um, I do mostly headshot portraits. Um, I do full bodies, but I haven't had too many requests for those. I think a lot of people like the way I do the eyes and the face that really read their horse very well. You know, when you when you look at one of my paintings and you look at a, a painting of your horse, it's it's going to look like your horse looking back at you. That sensitivity of the expression, and sometimes that's kind of lost in a full body portrait because it's just tiny. I love that, and it's I follow quite a few equestrian artists on Instagram and Facebook, and it's always I feel like you can kind of tell each each artist's niche, and so I love that. I think that that's um, it's really special. And oh, thank you. With, with art and, you know, just kind of a general question, and I'm just going to pick your brain because I, we haven't talked to a ton of artists. We've talked to a lot of writers, but mm-hmm. there's a commission, um, like, can it be kind of frustrating and disappointing? Cause like, there's maybe something you want to do that the, the person commissioning it wants something specific or is it, do you kind of take your artist license to capture kind of what you think they're looking for or just Kind of tell me a little it, bit I, about the I, commission process. So I, the, the first part is choosing a photo and a, a, to work from. And a lot of times what an owner sees as a, a picture they want done as a horse is, is not something that's going to translate really well to a 2D painting. So you might have this you know, great picture of him with his neck arched out in pasture, but when I blow it up on a computer screen, it's so pixelated and you know, I can't see his eye, I can't see his expression, or or they'll send a photo where the lighting's really dark or flat, and then, you know, the fourth photo in, they'll send me something, and I'm like, oh, that one, that one, the light's catching his face just right, and I can do something with that one. Um, 
And then the other part that's frustrating for me is um, trying to get that detail out of the photo. I mean, when I, when I get really tight in the detail, I mean, I'm drawing eyelashes. Like yeah. it's, it's very, very detailed. And um, a lot of my commissions have been memorial portraits, you know, the painting that they were going to really remember as a friend on the wall. And I'm trying to piece together a portrait from a video still and another shot in a barn aisle. And that part can get a little frustrating, more because of the pressure I put on myself. Yeah. I'm a perfectionist. And I want it yeah. to be awesome. And, sometimes the source material just isn't there. And, and and I will turn down a commission if I don't have a good enough picture to work from. But I, you know, really want to want to try to make it work for people, especially when they're trying to remember a lost friend. Yeah, they, I can. That would be a tremendous amount of pressure. I can only imagine because we're nuts about mm-hmm. our horses. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you and, you know, like you, you, a non-horse person can see 40 bay horses in a field and be like, how can you tell them all apart? Yeah. And like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can see 40 pictures of eyeballs and pick out your horse. You yes. Just, they're just so individual once you know them. So are most of your pieces um, like 8 by 10, 9 by 12, or do you like to do larger format? Or I always think the big paintings look really difficult. Uh, actually, it's funny because the bigger they get, kind of the easier they get. Because when you're working really small, like I, I don't like to go smaller than an eight by ten on a headshot or anything really. Because once you get that small, it's hard to get that line exactly where you want it to be. And when you're working on a a canvas that's say twenty four by thirty six, and your the eyeball that you're painting is two inches around you've got a lot of leeway. Like if that, if that one stroke is half a millimeter off, it's okay. If you're painting an eyeball that's the size of your pinky nail and that one stroke is half a millimeter off, it's a different horse or it's not a horse at all. So it's very, yeah, it's, it's very meticulous when you get that tiny. And when I get really small like that, I actually prefer to do them in colored pencil because on the colored pencils, I can get razor sharp little fine lines that stay sharp, whereas trying to get those super tiny fine lines with a paintbrush is much harder. So generally, the smaller they get, like the looser the brushwork is, because you just can't get into that super tight detail. Interesting. So have you have you pursued any formal training with painting or, or any of your art, or have you just kind of gone the path of practice? Oh, it's, there's, oh, there's always so much to learn. So I had a really wonderful experience about a year and a half ago. I took a workshop with Booth Malone. Oh, yeah. A phenomenal painter. And it was at the Aiken Center for the Arts. And they were so welcoming. It was, it was a, an amazing vacation for me just to get away from it for a week and be with all these other wonderful artists. Painting horses all day, photographing horses at the track in the morning, and just really getting to saturate myself in it because my day-to-day in my life is, is let's face it my kids <laughs> right <laughs> and, and taking care of horses so to, to be able to focus on that wholly for a week was awesome um so I'm, I'm always looking out for opportunities to to learn a lot of it's online so many artists have shared their knowledge in youtube videos or websites or podcasts um, there's so much information out there that if you have a desire to learn anything, the instructor is there waiting for you. And it, it's, it's such a cool time to be alive, to be able to experience that. That is that I didn't really think of that, but yeah, that's, that's, 
a great avenue yeah, for learning and, and getting more information about it. Yeah. I mean, especially for visual artists that if you're standing at a workshop and there's an artist in front of you painting, well, you can be standing behind a computer screen, you know, watching some of the greatest artists of our generation work on things and talk through them. And then some of them will pop onto chat channels and you know, be able to answer questions So many of them are popping up on like Instagram live videos. You can type stuff in and ask them questions or um, YouTube live videos or it's just, there's so much knowledge out there that, yeah, I mean, I I do spend hours just learning online. So are any of your kids horsey or are they too, are they too young to know? I'm trying. I'm desperately trying. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) So we have a pony. He's 26 years old. His name is Peewee, and uh, he <laughs> he's about 36 inches tall. Um, so he's a nice little yeah. He's he's a little tiny chunk. Um, and my daughter's favorite thing is to pick his feet out. Oh, that's um, sweet. And I'm, yeah, yeah. She likes feeding him and picking his feet. Um, but when she wants to ride, she wants to ride my 17 hand chestnut thoroughbred. Of course. So. <laughs> So just this year, we've we've been on two trail rides now. I've uh, loaded her up and taken her to Morgan Run and Coder State Park. And so I'll ride my my older quiet paint mare, and I'll have her on a lead rope on a thoroughbred behind me. And she's done awesome. She just sticks on there like a little burr, and she's game to go for two hours. Um, That's pretty impressive. Kind of broke my... Yeah, yeah, she's she's loving it, but. She doesn't really have the horse crazy gene and it kind of broke my heart a little bit the last time. She was like, Mommy, next time can we just come and go walking? I was like, Oh, oh. <laughs> oh. how yeah. old's your but little she one? She loves hunting. Um, oh. so he's three and I started taking them car following during the week. Yes. So at least uh, we try to get out at least once a week, but uh, we'll hop in the car and I'll give them a box full of graham crackers and we'll car follow Green Spring Valley and try to keep up with the road whip. And that's they have a blast doing that. And uh, I started taking them bassinning this past year, too. So um, that is on my list. (laughs) I need a retired basset hound badly. Explain basseting and how it's different than fox hunting. Uh, well, there's no horses, which makes me a little sad, but <laughs> um, so I went out by the, with the invitation of uh, Mrs. Jeep Cochran with the Cast Pasture Bassets, oh, and nice. we start out and um, we'll walk them up to a cover and she releases the hounds and they sniff around and find a rabbit and eventually one takes off. We all yell tally-ho and try to keep up and it doesn't last. The chase doesn't last very long. Usually the bunny finds a hole or runs somewhere else, but every once in a while you get a, you get a good little sprint going, uh, but it's great for the kids because they can be right up there with the action. And Mrs. Cochran would ask Evie to come up and walk with her. She could be right next to her, watch the hounds work. And, and so much of the terminology and the hound work is similar to fox hunting. So you have the covers, you have the fields, you have the whips, um, you just don't have the horses and you're moving a lot slower and they're rabbits. Well, I, we, I need, I should find a picture, but the, I haven't actually seen Bassett's hunt, but I've watched YouTube videos and whatnot. Cause I'm a little obsessed with it, but 
basset hounds that hunt do not look like the basset hounds that people have as pets, right? No, they don't. Like, I would post photos of them, and people would comment on Facebook, they're like, is that a basset hound? <laughs> they, they look nothing like, like a pet American Kennel Club basset hound. Um, the ears are much shorter. Um, a lot of them almost look like beagle crosses, but they still are very long-bodied and short-legged. Right. Um, and tremendously athletic and they can go fast, but that short stature lets them really get into the thickets and, you know, under the brush cover to be able to flush those rabbits out. Whereas a tall hound will just can't even get close to them. Yes. They're, they're, there's a couple of members of my hunt that have gone basseting, I think in Virginia. And a few of us were kind of throwing around the idea of doing a small basset pack that we could do, um, when it's a little too warm to do fox hunting, but you've inspired me now to, to pursue that again. Yeah, so. do it, do it. Excellent. Find, find another pack get get involved and right. Yeah, Cause I need some more hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> so Lauren, if, if our listeners want to find you and your art and they want to commission amazing painting, how would they find you? Uh, so I have a website. It's www.laurenfanning.com. Um, I'm at, very active on Instagram, uh, usually, and Facebook as well. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And I really enjoyed learning about your art and your process. And I'm looking forward to inviting myself to come see you at Green Spring Valley. Awesome. Can't wait to meet you. Come on out. Excellent. <laughs> thank you so much for having me on the show. And um, now I think I need to get a, a picture done of Scooter. I think that would be right. Cool. Wouldn't that be neat? Yeah. I love how she has the different mediums depending upon the detail. It was a fascinating conversation to hear about, you know, what thought goes into that. Kind of cool. I, I agree. Yeah. And uh, a new segment for the fox hunting episode. I decided that when we started the episode today. A new segment's going to be quiz question, and I'm going to quiz Tara. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Quiz question. Longtime listeners of the fox hunting episodes know that Tara fox hunts, but Tara also competes in show hunters. Show hunters kind of got started because of fox hunting. That was their origin story. Hence the name. Hence the name. Tell me about some skills that show hunters can offer to a fox hunter? What are some things that you learned by doing show hunters that you went, oh, that's really useful in the fox hunting field too? I mean, honestly, I really like the show hunters today and I've only done the hunters since I think I started showing around 2013, 2014. So I haven't been doing it that long, but regardless of what you're doing when you're jumping, a good canter is really, really important. And I grew up in the quarter horse world and our character was called a lope and it was very slow. And the one thing I really learned in, in the hunters and showing the hunters was to have a good, consistent forward canner. And the trainers I've ridden with have focused on, um, there's, you know, the whole big, like finding a spot, seeing a spot and all that. And the trainers I rode with haven't really drilled that they've been more, if you have a good canter, your horse will find the jump. And I think that that's equally important in the hunt field because usually you're going at a little bit faster pace, 
you know, and you want obviously your horse to get a good spot to the jump because it's usually a solid jump. Well, it's always a solid jump. That's not going to fall, but a good forward canter and looking where you're going and your horse is going to jump the jump. Ooh, good advice. Regardless of whether you're in the arena or in the hunt field, you'd best better have a good canter if you want a good jump. I like it. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of good stuff, time to to get a hold of Corrine and talk about the writer's program. Yes, I'm super excited. So I am very excited today to talk to Corrine from North Hills Hunt in Nebraska and to talk about, well, you know, to talk about fox hunting in general, but specifically about the writer's program that y'all have up there. So, Kareen, if you would tell us about your involvement with North Hills, and then let's talk about the Riders Program. Well, I uh, started hunting um, in uh, 1998. I was introduced to it by Dave Keffler, who is now one of the masters with North Hunt, North Hills. And um, I started um, just the very first time riding in first flight and I had no idea what I was doing. It was a little wild. I broke the brim of my helmet on a tree or something and had a big gash down the side of my face. And, (laughs) and I got done. I was like, Oh, where's this been all my life? It was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And so I just went from there. So I, I hunted and I, um, I led, uh, the gate group, second flight, first flight. And then, um, Luke Matranga, another of our masters was injured in an accident in Burwell, probably about seven years ago. And he was our first flight field master. And so I ended up taking over for him while he, uh, recovered from his, uh, injury. And then I, um, led first flight for, uh, several years until, uh, the Moingona hunt in Des Moines, um, had some changes there and part of their hunt came and joined up with North Hills and we uh, had um, Monty and Tisdale become one of our masters here. He was one of the masters with Moingona and um, they in turn then had one of their uh, riders, Jay Stockhausen, take over as field master in uh, the countries in Iowa, which would be like Cumberland and Tipton. So that still remains as today. So, because when I met you, it was at the Burwell, the Hound um, Trials, and I have to yep. plug that Kareen was leading first, first flight or second flight? Second? No, I led, I, yeah, I lead first flight in Burwell. First flight, yes. I lead first flight in, in all the Nebraska territories, and Burwell is one of them. So, yeah, that's super fun. Well, and Kareen was riding, if I remember correctly, a leopard Appaloosa, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, I've been spotted is his name, and he is amazing. He's pretty, he's pretty fun to watch in the field and he's absolutely beautiful. Thank you. And very brave. He will just go anywhere I ask him to. So, so I know at Burwell, there was at least one rider in the group who was, um, part of the riders program. And so what I wanted to chat with you about today is about the riders program and just, I honestly know very little about it other than that it's an introductory to fox hunting type of a program. So tell us all about it and what it stands for. So I, I started it, I, I got my official 501 C3 status uh, in 2015 from the IRS. 
And the initials stand for Responsible, Intuitive, Diligent, Excellent, Reliable Students. And I started it because I have, you know, quite a few kids at my barn who um, don't always have the funds to join hunting and then not only pay the membership fee, but then pay to lease a horse for the, for the day and pay for hauling. So it, it was, and some of my kids were just really nice riders and either their parents didn't want to, you know, commit to that kind of money or couldn't commit to that kind of money. And so I would take these kids just whenever I could. And finally I decided I'd put together an actual program, do some fundraising and try to, you know, um, support this program. And so I pick kids, young kids, anywhere from 10 to 21 who I feel, uh, work hard and I don't tell them about it. I pick them after I've watched them at the barn, taking lessons, helping out, uh, working cause some of them volunteer, come out and help do chores. Others have a little part-time job at the barn uh, with chores. And I pick them according to how I feel that they are both working people, uh, self-motivated people. Um, I, I watch their personality with others, like they need to be kind and, and as kind as kids can be. I mean, because I know eventually, you know, some kids going to say something dumb and hurt another kid's feelings and all that. I, I, I get all that. I raise children myself. But as a whole, that they're kind and considerate and that they're good horsemen and they want to learn. And that's how I kind of pick them. And then I usually pick anywhere between one and four per year. So the first year I had one uh, or ended up with two Jubilee, who is now a whip um, with North Hills hunt and Daryl, who at this time she has a little baby, so she's not hunting. So what they do is they take a lesson a week. Some of them don't pay for their lessons. Some of them do. It kind of depends on what their financial situations are. One of my girls was going to stop taking lessons because she couldn't afford it anymore. And I told her that the, her lessons would be covered by riders. Um, actually two of my kids did that. So over, over time, I have had about four or five of those kids who come and say, and they don't know that I'm going to do this for free because I tell them that they can't tell anybody because I just don't want that out there. One, because they're embarrassed and they don't want people to know that they can't afford them. Yeah. And two, I don't want somebody else coming up saying, oh, you know, can I have free lessons too? Um, so it, part of it is like when they join the hunt, they pay half of their membership and riders pays the other half. So they're, they got a little skin in the game. Then on the day that we hunt, they come and they, uh, they come early six or seven o'clock in the morning and they help with chores so that we're chores are all done before we leave to go hunting. Cause sometimes we have to leave the barn at seven o'clock in the morning and we have a big drive out and then they come back and they finish chores and make sure they take, if there's anything left and take care of their horses and put that all away, uh, clean their tack. And then if I'm short on chores during the week, like especially during the summer, I'll call them up and say, Hey, can you come out and help with chores at the barn? And yep, they'll be right there. And they'll help do chores. Um, so, and, and they, their lessons are sometimes on the horse they hunt, sometimes on different horses, but they, all of them ride first flight. Which now, is impressive. If I feel like, and, and, you know, they didn't all start off first flight. They had like maybe one hunt where they weren't. 
So we did the gate group because I wanted them to get the feel of hunting. And then after that, they all ride well and they're well mounted. Yeah. So, you know, so we, you know, they're not riding sketchy things and I wouldn't ask them if I didn't feel like they rode well enough. And usually in lessons, I, I have to holler at them and be like, okay, you're not hunting, slow mm-hmm. down. And like, we're now hunters in the ring, you know? So, <laughs> so I do have to tone them down a little bit, but they, they just love it. And they also do things like I want them to come with me and we don't do it very often, but you know, maybe once or twice or three times a year, if I have to go do any work in the country, I'll ask them to come with me and chop down weeds or hold a board while we screw it on or give out like this winter, they all came over to uh, the Huntsman's parents' house and we made cookies and uh, they decorated and all that and packaged them up so that we could uh, deliver them to the landowners in that particular hunt country. So uh, they, they understand that it's that we're riding on people's property and we need to be cognitive of that and be respectful of that. Um, and that they're, because a lot of these kids are from the city and they just don't understand that just because you're riding in this field doesn't mean that it doesn't have its own set of priorities. Like don't ride across the alfalfa field, even though it's in the winter and, you know, you ride on the edge and I mean, there's just a lot of things that we have to, you know, don't go down. We have a lot of terraces around here for water prevention and I like, don't go down the terrace. Let's go around because if you go down the terrace, it makes a, you know, a fault in the terrace and, the deer and stuff do enough of that, but those terraces are very expensive yes. for the farmer to make. And the last thing he needs is 20 horses going down the terrace. Well, so, I think that's and so important talk- that they really learn the value of the land and, you know, cause so, it's such an important part of fox hunting is the land preservation and the relationship with landowners. Yes. They need to understand that somebody paid a lot of money to have the terrace done somebody had to put a lot of effort in to put the fencing up and, you know, just things that are, that we just need to be careful of where they understand. And here, most of these people are from Nebraska. So they do understand ag to a point um, as much as, as you can, if you don't actually farm, you know, that's really cool. Pat on the back for you. Well, Thank you. (laughs) Well, and those kids are very, you know, they're very respectful. Like I tell them, you don't have colors the only time you can pass people is if we're online. Now we don't have always a lot of members out. Like if the weather's really, cause we ride in just some pretty cold and icky weather. So sometimes we don't have a lot of members out and they can ride up front with me, but um, you know, I'm up front front and they can't be with me. So they need, and sometimes like I'll have a member of my barn kind of stick with them. If they feel, if I feel like we're going to be sketchy, I'll send somebody back to ride with them to make sure that they're okay. But they're a pretty tough group and they're pretty good about stick watching each other and cheering each other on and being careful with each other. Like if somebody's having trouble, you know, the other one will ride with them and stay with them um, and encourage them or go back with them. If they feel like, you know, one's having, one was having a hard time one time with the horse that was new and, the other one was, I'll go back with you. And, you know, I think that's important too, that they learn to respect each other and be with each other and not kids at this age can get at any age, women do it too. as adults. And so do men where you get a little catty and you can say stuff that's not very nice. Well, aren't you brave enough to be out there? You know, which I'll just chew them up one side and down the other. If anybody says the word chicken, um, because it, you know, fox hunting is tough and, 
you have to be about your wits the whole time, watching your footing, making sure your horse is not unraveling, paying attention if your horse is getting too tired. You know, do you need to pull up if we're on a massive chase? Um, those kinds of things that make them good horsemen. And when they get done riding, you know, do they, I don't want them just like, oh, I'm hungry. And they rip their stuff off their horse and leave. Like they can't go eat until their horses, all their tack is put away. The horse has a hay net. They have a cooler on the horse if necessary or hosed off depending on the weather. And then they're ready to go. And when they're done eating, they have to clean up and, and be helpful. And of course, some days that doesn't all happen. I mean, we, you know, we can leave and forget stuff, but as a rule, that's how we try to go by. Well, it's just, it's really a tremendous opportunity especially at that age for kids to learn independence and judgment. And so often, you know, I I don't have children. I'm like the only person in my friend group who doesn't have kids, but you know, we want to coddle them and hand them everything. And, you know, we schedule their days to the minute and horseback riding is just, it's like the final frontier of kids having the opportunity to learn judgment and independence. And I love what you're doing in a safe environment where they have proper instruction and they're well-mounted, but they have the opportunity to use their judgment and independence. They need to learn how to, how to problem solve. And if they can't problem solve, then come and ask for some advice, but not just the first thing. I can't do this. I'm like, I don't want to hear it. So you have to think of everything, both, you know, how are the horses doing? How are the hounds doing? It's sometimes it's so cold. We got to go home. They're like, you know, why? Well, the hound's feet are just getting tore up by this ice. Right. Or, you know, we need to rest because, you know, and, and have water because the hounds had a big chase and, they need to rest and have water because, we, you know, so they, some of those things that people don't think about, like they get on their horse and they want to go. I had a guy one time that was riding one of my draft crosses and, and rode it until when I stopped, I had to jump off, grab the horse, take its saddle off, take its growth off and walk it for 20 minutes. Cause he was completely ignorant of the fact that he almost ran that horse into the ground. Oh, so, you know, crazy. those are things that I want those kids to understand both the horses, the hounds and the wildlife. Um, so do you, you know, the program is five going on six years now. Do your, you know, your graduates Jubilee, um, do they stay involved and kind of mentor the younger folks or is it still kind of too new to have that established? Does. Yeah. Jubilee does. Um, one of my other ones that graduated, she actually lives like in Colorado, but she, she took a foxhound as a pet. Uh, when, you know, when they try to rehome them. So I know nothing about that. When... <laughs> <laughs> How many do you have? <laughs> I only have one foxhound and one North Hills foxhound deerhound cross. Oh, oh, that's not bad, too. But I have seven oh. others, eight others. Oh, they're in. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, keep going. So we're not a cat woman. We're a dog woman. Pretty much, but I do have six cats. (laughs) So, yeah, so the ones, I think it's too soon for some of them, but what I do do know is the ones that are there that have hunted, you know, they, they have such a good memory of it. And they, when they see the kids, they're like, oh my goodness, I bet you're having so much fun. I did it. I had a great time. And, and they're very encouraging of the ones that are in it. So. And so are my adults that are there. They like to, you know, the adults that ride are, are 
really complimentary and helpful of my kids. Cause, and you're, are you close to Omaha? Is that, that kind of, yes. Okay. Well, I don't ever actually hunt in Omaha, but we're right. How far are most of your fixture, the majority fixtures from Omaha? Um, well, we've lost some because of just land, you know, um, right. Building encroachment. Um, so we used to go to UTAN and that's like 20 minutes from my home and that's gone. So the closest that we have is the kennels, which is 45 minutes from my barn. And then, and then, um, Cumberland's about an hour and 45 minutes. And then um, we used to have Persia, but we lost that again with just, you know, land people. And then we go to Burwell, which is uh, about three and a half hours. And then we go to Arlington, which is in Nebraska. And that's about uh, 25, 30 minutes from my house. Okay. So, you, I mean, it's, and Burwell's like a hall, oh, and then right? We go, yeah. Yeah. And then we go to Tipton twice a year. Right. And that's about four and a half hours. And then this year we're going to go hunt with Arapaho in Colorado. Oh, fun. But I, I won't, I won't take any of my kids there. You know, the problem that arises with some of my kids is the parents have to go because I am also a member of USEF and because of safe sports, I can't right. have those kids stay with me. Stay Whereas with before, you. yeah, they would stay with me. Yeah. Cause you, and so kind of to wrap up a little bit, you do have, um, a riding teaching program, right? Butterfield farm. Yep. Butterfly. Yep. Butterflat, Butterflat Creek farm. Yep. Yep. Yes. I, this is our 18th year here and I've been teaching for about 25 years and then I taught school before that. Oh, very nice. But I and you, ha- you I have like yeah. a full training program and you have some schooling shows and all that to, so it's yep, very well-rounded. Yep, we and we do a lot of different things. Like this Saturday, this past Saturday, um, we did vaulting. And uh, it's just stuff to get people to try different things. Last year, we did mounted archery. Then we do our rider program over at another barn called Ponca. They have about 600 acres. Oh, nice. Uh, four or 600 acres. And, and the guy there is just very kind to let us come over there. And I charge $50 and that includes lunch and I split it with him. But we get out there and we get to jump around all of these logs and it's just small inventing stuff. I mean, nothing there is bigger than I think two foot six or two foot nine. I mean, it's all small, but, um, but it's a great way to get out of the ring and people from all over, they love to come there. We had 10 there this weekend, I think. Um, and we ride for about an hour and a half or two, and then we go have lunch. And then I take half of that money and put it in my rider program that it helps support, um, the membership for my kid, whoever, whatever kids I pick this year to join the hunt. Oh, I love that. So if listeners want to send you some money for the riders program, or they're in the Nebraska Omaha area and they want to come ride, how, how will people find you? Um, well, they can look at, on my website, it's, uh, the farm at butterflycreek.com. Um, there's me. And every, if you give a donation, whether I, we had somebody donate a horse one time, it was a very nice horse. Um, and one of my kids rode it for a while and we ended up selling it to her after it's been here for a year. And then that money then helped to fund my rider. And then that young girl has just taken that horse and just been, in fact, she was there this weekend riding. She's just done phenomenally with them. So, and then we just have cash donations. 
um, we've had a couple other horses donated and one of them is going to be, uh, in the rider program. He's been going to be hunted by Jubilee this year, even though she's not a rider girl, she will bring him along so that he's ready for next year for my kids to hunt him. Um, wonderful. And all that, they get a tax write off on that. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. That was such a great, fun conversation with Kareen. And I just, I think that that writer's program is so wonderful. And it's such a great um, idea for getting kids educated and experienced in the fox hunting field. Absolutely. So we would love to hear from more hunts about uh, events that you're doing and things that are happening, especially in this Corona apocalypse world of needing to do fundraising and doing social events or whatnot. So we would love if you would get in touch with us. You can contact Jen at horseradionetwork.com or Tara at horseradionetwork.com. So shoot us an email. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, just search for Tara Tibbetts or on Instagram at, at TN Tibbetts. And just reach out to us and let us know what's going on. We'd, be, we'd love to share and get more regular updates on the podcast of things that are coming up because – Really, our goal with the podcast and fox hunting is to introduce as many people as we can to the sport of fox hunting and get people connected to hunts in their area. So, like I said, you can find me on Instagram at for search for at TN Tibbets, two B's, two T's. You can find the links to today's guests in the show notes at horsesinthemorning.com. You can also listen to it at horsesinthemorning.com. You can follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. There you go. Make sure to have all of your favorite Horse Radio Network shows. I think there are 17 or so to choose from nowadays. Wherever you go, download the free app for your iPhone or Android. Just go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. If you are not app savvy, find yourself as a seven to nine year old. They'll be able to do it for you. Thank you very much to our sponsor today, Total Saddle Fit. Go to totalsaddlefit.com today and check out the stability stirrup leathers you're gonna love them and good night good night good night